once again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 65. As always, and you don't have to do this in this particular order, but as always, we remind you to rate, review, download, share with a friend, leave a comment there, say hello. We really appreciate the feedback and it will help us get better, right? To hear what you think. Maybe I make, someone pointed out that I made this weird uh, ticking sound with my tongue, so I've worked very hard not to do it anymore. So I appreciate that. Keep them coming. As this grows, and here in the World Cup year, we have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. On today's episode, it's going to be very interesting, right? Because we're going to have the most interesting man in American soccer join us in the business end, Shep Messing. Kids, if you don't know Shep Messing, do a search. New York Cosmo teammate of Pele, Beckenbauer, during an incredible era of soccer in this country. Uh, I, I did a search for him because I just want to prepare for this, obviously. And the first thing that comes up is a photo of him with... Uh, Mick Jagger, and I believe it's at Studio 54. So parting, uh, do a search on Studio 54, kids. We're, we we want to get you smarter by going back in the past. And Shep Messing is an incredible uh, guy. And now a broadcaster of the Red Bulls. We love him. He's also involved with Major Arena Soccer League, MASL. And we will talk about that here in, uh, in detail because it's making a big comeback. And that's a big part of being American, right? Appreciating the arena game. In stoppage time, we will talk about the most interesting nation, of all time. I don't know if it's all time, but the Columbia teams of the early to mid 90s, that team, that national team to me was spellbinding for, for better and worse. And with the loss of Freddie Rincon, and I will tell you why I'm, I'll be talking about it. We're going to look into that Colombian team a little bit. What made them so special, the personalities and why uh, I won't ever forget them. And obviously there, it's a very tragic scene when you think about the untimely murder of Andres Escobar and the fact that they never reached their heights. I mean, this is a team that you could have said, could they win a World Cup? They never really got that close. But we'll talk about them. And we'll remember Freddy Rincon, one of my favorite players who scored one of my favorite goals of all time as well. I use that a lot all time. We're going to get going. This is the Soccer OG. Let's go. Yes, indeed, we have a very exciting show for you. I can't wait for the Shep Messing interview. I haven't done it yet. I haven't done it yet. You'll hear it when I do. And uh, yeah, Freddie didn't go, man. I was really bummed out to hear that. And the means that we lost him in a, uh, got hit by a bus in, a, in the passenger side and obviously apparently killed immediately. It, I was, I was happy to see the the outpouring from all over the world for Freddie Rincon, who was, you know, a, a legend in many places in Colombia. He was huge in Brazil, but we'll get more into Freddy than going a little bit when we talk about the stoppage time and obviously Shep, and we're going to talk about the indoor game as well, which, uh, you know, I, I've gone out and seen a couple Ontario Fury games, right? Have you? So Major Arena Soccer League, uh, they're all over the place. They're growing. We spoke to JP Della Camera. We'll talk to Shep, who is also involved, and we'll talk about what he's doing with MASL. I want to start this week to talk about Zach Steffen, Okay. And he got to play for Manchester City. And it was the FA Cup semifinal against Liverpool. So this is a massive game. Pep Guardiola plays his backup goalkeeper. Aderson uh, doesn't. And Zach Steffen playing for the first time in a month when he played the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. Has this awful moment where he doesn't see Sadio Mane or something happens. And uh, Mane slides in, knocks the ball in the net. And... Liverpool would go on to win the game. 
I've a uh, Twitter there, and I was guilty of it. I came up and because I said I said something along the lines of, "This is not an isolated incident." What we're seeing with Zach Steffen shows that not playing on a regular basis is a problem, and maybe we have to keep this goalkeeping situation for the U.S. men's national team open. Not that many characters, obviously, but something along those lines. I should have read it for you verbatim. I thought it was a very good tweet. I looked at Twitter. Everyone was ripping him. And hats off to Jimmy Conrad, former guest here. And he's, he sent a tweet. He tagged Zach Steffen. He goes, hey, man, everyone makes mistakes. And he showed great goalkeepers making mistakes. We're still pulling for you. And it was very touching. And, and I, I, we really went above and beyond the pale. But I guess that's part of the soccer culture, right? We have to hold... And we're in an echo chamber. If you're, in, if you're not into that soccer Twitter, it's a mess. It's a me- it's awful place. I really don't enjoy it. But uh, we have to participate in it. But we are repetitive. Uh, we steal thoughts. Uh, there's a lot of lecturing. I don't know how basketball or football Twitter is, but the soccer Twitter, especially American soccer Twitter, and it's all of us. It's me too. I mean, I, I got to be better. But look, I, I'm not, I stand by that Zach Steffen. We have to be critical of him. And by the way, before I continue, a reminder... Then I, to check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos, I will get in depth about U.S. goalkeeping and Zach Steffen. That will be posted late Sunday night. Or actually, you're probably listening to Monday because I'll be posting this Monday on the podcast. So check, check out Max Bretos, the Soccer OG, the latest videos. Check out the old videos. Check out the old Soccer OG podcast here as well. And I've noticed a lot of people doing that. And that, i got to tell you, is very satisfying when someone maybe in their free time listens to an old podcast of the Soccer OG just for their listening, just to just to pass the day. That is thrilling. So appreciate that. Keep on doing it. And maybe you'll be listening to this one as well. This is a good one. I'm excited about the business and with Shep as well as uh, stoppage time as well. So uh, we talk about Zach Steffen and is the criticism fair? Yes, but everyone piled on and I felt really bad for him. But this is, is, this is the way it's supposed to be, right? This is what they do in Brazil and England times 10 and Italy if players don't perform. So he tweeted about it and he certainly uh, had the support of his manager, Pep Guardiola, who kind of said accidents happen and they do. But uh, Zach would say it's a tough pill to swallow. Trials and tribulations, failures and successes, that's life. Eh, I, I, I'm sure he didn't see the American outpour. I'm sure he, they would stay away. They're probably told to stay away from that Twitter because it's just going to bum you out. But I have to ask, is is City okay with that? Have a goalkeeper who, when he plays, is shaky. <laughs> he really has. Going back to these other FA Cup fixtures, uh, you could see it. And we put it under the microscope because that's the only sample size we have of Zach Steffen. So... <sighs> Does Man City keep going and say we're going to A, play our backup goalkeeper in a FA Cup semifinal, or B, are we going to find another backup? And does Zach Steffen, and there have been reports about him leaving, I don't know if they're, I, I, I don't know if they're legit reports, but we did see that kind of, it makes sense. Somebody has to step up and he needs games and we'll get a better idea of where he's at. But the more I see of Zach, I, he's a good goalkeeper. He's not this elite prospect that we all thought. Incredible athlete. Is built to play the modern game, but doesn't really play it uh, as well as you would like. So I hope he comes back and proves us all wrong as a goalkeeper because it solves a problem. And I met him a couple times, and he's a, he's, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. I am pulling for him. But it was an interesting moment for American soccer Twitter, right? Because my whole timeline... 
was Zach Steffen. It was crazy. Let's get going. This is the Soccer OG. We'll be up next with Shep Messing in the business end. Let's go. Welcome back here to the Soccer OG. And well, here we are. I'm going to interview the most interesting man in the history of American soccer, Shep Messing. Shep, uh, I don't even know where to start. I know we're going to talk MASL because you're the chairman. It's exciting because the indoor game is interwoven into American soccer as much as anything. But uh, I'm, I'm excited about where we might be able to take this. Obviously, people remember you from the Cosmos as a teammate of Pele, partying at Studio 54. Do you remember? I mean, how do you do you recall those days? I mean, because I'm 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 getting up there and I'm re- I re- recollect some of these things. But there's when I look do a search on you, the first thing I see is you and Mick Jagger. <laughs> Max, first of all, great to be on with you. Great to see you. Look, you know, the best thing about anybody's life in sport, the relationships, right? And I, I joke around that I. I've made a living for 50 years with with three things on my business card, Uh, Harvard, Olympian, and teammate of Pelé. But it's the friendships that that last forever. Do I remember anything? Look, those were wild (laughs) days. I think think they have some things that are black in my memory. There's some things I don't want to remember, but... Max, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my life for anybody. You know, a lot, of, a lot of players today say, do I wish I were playing today with American players playing at big clubs in Europe? And I tell them, are you kidding me? I, I, I played with Pelé, Franz Beckenbauer, against Johan Cruyff, Gerd Müller, Niskin. So I wouldn't trade my journey for anybody's. If you if you have a chance, there's a movie once in a, a documentary once in a lifetime. Shep is in it. You can get an idea of the New York Cosmos in that time. And I, I, if you're a soccer fan, because I hope I'm I'm bringing in a younger audience, some younger folks are watching. But to learn the history is very important because that all led to the next thing. And it was a uh, it, it it's also uh, when you look at what happened back then. It was it, it was when we look at Major League Soccer. It was a lesson on what you could do, what you probably shouldn't do. But it's it to me it's almost it's almost incredible that it ever happened because it is uh, it was so big it was so it it was so massive certainly not not just in New York but when you mentioned the players that are playing all over and now we so many still are in the states and you know a guy like Ray Hudson and uh, uh, guys that are all over that I mean, George Best uh, who people still go by his bar that used to be there in 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 the South Bay here there is that connection and. I, it just it comforts me to know that that happened. And these players like yourself were here and playing back then. Max, I think it's, it's, it's human nature to have selective memory. So many people, and we're all proud of Major League Soccer. What a phenomenal success over 25 years. But, but pro soccer didn't start here in this country with Major League Soccer. And, and I think part of, of the joy for me is... I was there when it when it was nothing with 800 people watching New York Cosmos game and then Pele comes and Franz and soccer in New York it it cap, captures the imagination of New York and the country and the world so 
to go from 800 fans to 70,000 fans, and, and you touched upon it, Johan Cruyff in LA, Gerd Muller, Ray Hudson in Fort Lauderdale, the Tampa Bay Rowdies. I mean, it exploded and then it died. But I think that generation, those, that decade laid the seeds, the foundation uh, that we see today. So great, it wouldn't great be, times. It, it, there, I would imagine there was a time that soccer could have bypassed this country altogether without, you know, certain investors, without certain personalities getting involved at the game at the right time because Americans are always used to their sports and that's fine. That's the way it is. And, and soccer, I think would always have a role here, but without that, without uh, the early days of, of the cosmos and the, the games in the seventies and MLS wouldn't have even attempted to do that. I mean, is that fair that without these, these brave moments that we had that soccer because um, uh, the American public is always looking to pass on and are very proud of their own games. And that's fine. But if, is it, I always wonder if, if this didn't happen, would, you know, would we even be, would we have like a, a world cup effort that would pale in comparison to what we're doing now? Is that, is it could have been like the wild West or something when you look at how soccer would have been in this country without these moments across the board. If someone said, we're going to do major league soccer, we're going to do the NESL, these things, Someone had to someone had to take a risk and they did. And thank goodness, because now I'm making a living covering the sport. You're making a living. So many others are. And the future is very bright. Max, I think it's you know, I, I don't like to look back. I like to look forward. But I think there's a progression in life and in sports and entertainment where had that generation of the NASL not existed, Major League Soccer, I don't believe, would exist or the World Cup here in 1994, because what happens, those eight, nine, 10 year old that were fans of the Tampa Bay Rowdies or the L.A. Aztecs or the New York Cosmos, they were then business executives when they were 40, 50 years old, who who remembered the joy they got as a child watching the stars of those days. And they were now in a position where they could do something about it. And Look, it, it all happens for a reason. And, and again, I wouldn't trade my journey for anybody's. I, I root for our American team at the World Cup. I, I follow the guys that are doing well in Europe, but I'm, I'm American-centric. I, I watch Major League Soccer, and we'll segue to, to Major Arena Soccer League, but I don't watch a lot of European soccer. I don't watch South American. I'm here. I want to watch Seattle against Portland, not just because we're man. working in it. Yeah, uh, this is my joy. And and I'm glad to have been a, a small part of it. Well, when people think of the, the, the NASL days, it's uh, the, the ones that were truly American. I think of you or Rick Davis, those guys. And that's the connection we had, because otherwise it was we were looking from outside in. And that I think many people could see through your perspective and just hearing you say that, how proud about being an American and watching the American game go. I do the same. It has its flaws, yes, but we, we we go along there till it's a finished product and we're getting closer to it every day. And by the way, you just threw out Harvard like nothing. I was, look, I was, look, how many degrees do you have? I mean, you were very, a learned man by all means. Was it NYU? <laughs> I was looking, I go, wait a minute, Ship spent a lot of, I mean, I, I, how could you go to Studio 54? It sounds like you're in classroom the whole time. <laughs> I, I do have great stories and the, and the great thing is they're all true right so it's a, so interesting 
I grew up in a household, one of five children, where sports were not a priority. Education was. And, and I went to NYU, uh, not happy there, and transferred and, and said to myself, look, what's the best of the best? Uh, how about Harvard? So I applied <laughs> to Harvard, got in, uh, graduated with an honors degree. And at the same time, I was actually traveling around CONCACAF as part of the US Olympic team. We had to go through qualifying. And so my senior year at Harvard, I'd have to be playing a game down in, in Mexico at Azteca in Mexico City. And, and at Harvard, they don't allow makeup exams. Wherever you are in the world at the time of the exam, they'll send a, a proctor down there. So I'm sitting at the pool in the hotel in Mexico City, uh, getting ready to play Mexico, but I had a final exam at Harvard. So uh, a, a proctor came out, I'm sitting by the pool, I'm drinking a beer. <laughs> and he said, I have to be here while you take the exam. So <laughs> I, I think I got an A minus, but that's amazing. I, I've had, <laughs> I've had a good life. But I, I would have never been, not that I had the, the grades to get there. I wouldn't have been able to hack a place like Harvard for that very reason. I would have, I would have been a puddle out of collapse because of the demands academically for a place like that. So hats on, I mean, and now you, that's, I mean, that's a badge. Yeah, I went to Harvard. Yeah. But again, they're soccer and I'm, I'm not going to be soccer centric, but at Harvard, I was on the Olympic team playing qualifying games and they didn't know I had transferred school. So one day I walked out onto the soccer field, the coach was Bruce Monroe. And I said, Hey, I'd like to play. He goes, who are you? Uh, our team is all set. Have you played before? Mm -hmm. I said, well, yeah, I'm actually the goalkeeper for the US Olympic team. And, and he said, okay, you could play. And, and that team at Harvard, it, it's a microcosm of our sport. My roommate was a guy named Charlie Thomas on the Olympic team for Gambia. We had a Nigerian Olympic player, Felix Adediji, uh, a Yugoslav, a guy from England, we had a mixing mix of 14 nationalities on that Harvard team. So I'll stick to the theme of education. Years later, I talked about the cosmos with 800 people. Well, after Harvard and the Olympics, I was in law school at Fordham, had just started. My dad was a lawyer. Now Pele signs on the team. And I really have mixed emotions, right? I go to my father and I say, look, I don't know that I want to stay in law school. I, I'd really rather keep doing this soccer thing. I said, I didn't want to disappoint my dad. I said, what do you think? He said, Shep, the last thing the world needs is another lawyer. <laughs> go, <laughs> go, go follow your dream. So was, I, I've been lucky. Man, what, what a wonderful thing for your dad to say. And I don't know how you could ever be disappointed when, uh, after NYU and Harvard, he's at law school at Fordham, uh, who's, which is a, a, a very good school, especially what I did in, in broadcasting. Uh, and when I was at ESPN, there's three or four, you know, superstar guys from Fordham. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to have that conversation with your dad. I'm sure you're expecting him to say something else, but they know, right? They know when, they, when it comes down to my son, this is he's put in the time. This is his passion. Pursue your passion. Yeah, look, life changes generation by generation. I, I, I watch kids and you do playing youth soccer or youth basketball with the parents on the sideline uh, uh, over involved is, is an understatement. 
my father first saw me play a game at the Olympic Games. <laughs> when I was a child, he wasn't at practice every day. So look, the world is changing, hopefully, hopefully in a better way. But back to my point, I wouldn't trade the journey I've had uh, for anything. Let's, uh, let's talk about um, Major League Soccer in particular and about developing players. And I- I'm curious about the goalkeeping situation because that's the position you did. Zach Steffen, I don't know if you saw it because I know you see you haven't watched a lot of the European games, but had a mistake in the FA Cup semifinal against uh, Liverpool. And, you know, he was, he was raked over the coals. I talked about it a little bit earlier and, you know, everyone is hypersensitive about this world cup and we're in the world cup and that's great. And there's still some issues that have to be cleared up Not issues, but there's, there's improvements that you would like to make so you can be competitive once you get there. And the goalkeeping situation has, we saw Matt Turner and he was doing really well. And then Zach Steffen came in, Matt Turner returned. We have some good young ones here and Gaga Slonina, who's coming through. We have uh, guys like Sean Johnson and uh, Stephen Fry, who's obviously 35, a little bit older. And uh, Tim Melia, we we used to produce great goalkeepers with some frequency when you think of the Casey Kellers and Tim Howards and those that came down. Where do you see goalkeeping in particular? I mean, who, who are the guys you like and what do you, what do you think, where do we go from here? Do, Do we, can we still produce the golden generation of goalkeepers that we, that we once did? Great question. And, and like anything else, no simple answer. My, my perspective on it is there's, there's a problem because players like Zach Steffen and Matt Turner, the opportunity to go to Europe, to Man City and Arsenal on one hand for the money is fantastic for their development as goalkeepers, not so good. You've got to play, right? A goalkeeper between the age of 22 to 28, you got to play. I would much prefer that Zach Steffen, who I rate highly, and, and Matt Turner, a little bit older, but I, but I like. They needed to go to a club in Holland or Germany or in the championship where they're the man. It's not like a field player, you know that, Max. There's a, a number one, or you're going to ride the bench. Yeah, you're going to play some FA Cup games. But it's not the same Casey Keller, who you alluded to, Brad Friedel. When they first went to Europe, they didn't go to the Premier League, right? They played all over in Europe, where they were playing full seasons of games. So, yeah, they got the money and the prestige of going to Man City, Zach Steffen, and, and Matt Turner to Arsenal. But career development... No good, no good at all. So where do we stand for the World Cup? Uh, Look, I think back to your question, we'll always develop great goalkeepers because of the hand-eye coordination, because of growing up with other sports. Look, I was a shortstop in baseball. And Tony Miola, that's that's an interesting, because he had this football background and, you know, that hand-eye coordination was very important in the development there. So it helped him carry it over to, to soccer. Look, Zach Steffen, I think, would have been better off staying in Major League Soccer, right, for a couple of years. Uh, coming up to the World Cup, you mentioned Stefan Fry. Look, before the Brad Guzan injury, I would have thought one of those two guys would be uh, a target for the World Cup. 
Right now, it's a, it's a position in flux. And Greg Berhalter, he's going to have to make some tough decisions. Yeah, and Brad Guzan, I know you're not on Twitter, but we have this, this environment now where everything is under the microscope, which is good because this younger generation, I don't want to just label it that, but you know, people are much more involved with putting the U.S. men's national team and the players and the World Cup effort under that microscope just to flesh out as much as they can. It's good sometimes, it's bad a lot of the time. So, you know, for instance, Brad Guzan is, may not be looked favorably, and, you know, he's 37, but this is a guy who played 200 games in the Premier League. This is, uh, it's a guy that maybe you should look at. Um, you want to, it's a young U.S. team, and maybe you want to couple it with a young U.S. goalkeeper. I don't know exactly what that what that might be, but it's the, maybe they are there and we've, I've, I've been a little disrespectful by saying we're not producing it the same way we have, but there are good goalkeepers. And as you said, this, you, when we develop players in this game, goalkeepers are always going to be at the top of the list. And I'm confident that will maybe flourish here in the next few years with some of the young guys coming through the pike. But uh, just to follow up one thing about the Matt Turner, the one thing about, I agree with you and people debate, yeah, should you go and get the best training and play under Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp or, should you go to this mid-table, even second division team in Europe and get your games? And I, I agree with you. It has to be the games. And some people argue the opposite. But in the case of Zach, Stefan, I think May would probably find another club here. And there's reports that he would in this next stretch before the World Cup. Now, for Matt Turner, I, he's got to be in a really tough position because he's going to Arsenal. And I mean, do you walk through the door and say, hey, I got to go go, go on alone? He's going through this incredible. He, he's now he's in a few months away from maybe the, his only World Cup. I'm not sure. But he's thinking about that. But then he's also saying, I'm at Arsenal. This is something I would have never thought in a million years, even though I may not be the starter. I've got to I, 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 I got to just be quiet and stay here and say, OK, this is my team and I'm going to do this for the rest of 2022. And regardless of how. It, uh, it affects my position at the World Cup. Is that, I just, I, I put myself in his, his mindset and it's, it's hard. Here's where I am with Matt Turner. And, and look, I, you know how close I am to Bruce Arena. I mean, Bruce Arena and I go back to being friends when he was 18, I was 19 and we, we played together. Um, and he loves Matt Turner. So if Bruce loves him, I love him. <laughs> Oh. Matt, if I'm Matt Turner, if I'm Matt Turner, how old is Matt now? 27? 20, yeah. I think. Yeah. So I'm Matt Turner. To your question, I don't care about this World Cup. I stick with Arsenal. I'm shooting for the World Cup here in 2026. He's going to be of prime age. So I'd stick for Arsenal. If I'm Matt Turner, yeah, it's hard to say I don't care about this World Cup. The next World Cup is the one he should have his eyes on. Zach Steffen different, right? Younger. Uh, I, I don't know who Berhalter goes with, but but back to the original question, you've got to play. <laughs> For a goalkeeper, you have to play. You're not a field player where you could go in and get 20 minutes. You're the number one or you sit on the bench. So for these, that age from 23 to 28, you've got to play as many games as you can. I don't care whether it's in Germany, Holland, Championship, Spain, you got to play games. By the way, Bruce Arena was uh, courtside at the Celtics game. I was flipping through the channels. Big time in it. <laughs> I've had some chats with Bruce, and I love Bruce. And 
I will, a little story about Bruce that I, I love to share is I got to ESPN and then I was working on a galaxy game and he was a coach. So I came, we came, was, he was facing, I think the Red Bulls. So I came down and did an interview. I just started ESPN two years ago and I sat down and then Bruce goes, Hey, I just want to let you know, you know, uh, us, the soccer community, seeing one of our own hosting sports center, that's very special. You made us all proud. I almost fell out of my seat. I was I got, I got welled up and he, he just, just shows, shows a lot about the, the quality of this guy that he would say that to me when I would never expect it and kind of put you under the wing of like, we're all together in this. And that meant a lot. Look, I could talk about Bruce forever, but that's Bruce. Bruce is so much quality. I look back because I'm a multifaceted sports fan. He's among the greatest managers, coaches in the history of this country in any sport. I'm talking about John Wooden in UCLA and obviously Belichick and Coach K. Bruce is a leader. And, and that gesture with you is his strength, right? He can get a group of people on any team and he's done it obviously in the NCAA at DC United, at the LA Galaxy. He's doing again at the Revolution. When he walks in the room, that team is 20% better. And, and I mean, good for him. He's, he be belongs in every hall of fame. And I'll leave that in segue to MASL only because you mentioned the Celtic. I am chairman of MASL and Nets are playing against the Celtics. So here's what happened, Max. I, I played indoor soccer. We talked about NESL and then the void in the marketplace, and then Major League Soccer. Well, for 10 years, the biggest pro soccer in this country was the major indoor soccer league. And we were having huge crowds in St. Louis and Cleveland and Buffalo and LA and New York. Uh, I won four championship rings with the New York Arrows. So about five years ago, the Russian owner of the Brooklyn Nets, Prokhorov, reached out to me, wanted to have a meeting. I said, wow, what, what does he want to meet with me about? And I met with him in New York City and his staff, and they had just won a bid to renovate the Nassau Coliseum on Long Island. And his senior VP of development grew up a New York Arrows fan. And Prokhorov said, Shep, the Brooklyn Nets would like to partner with you and put it into a soccer team at the Nassau Coliseum. I didn't even know there was a, a league that existed. I wasn't aware of MASL. It had dropped down over the years, but they had survived. So I reported back to the Brooklyn Nets. I said, look, here's where the league is at. And they said, look, we love the sport, but it's really not the right level for us. If you build it up, we'll put a team at the Barclays Center or at the Nassau Coliseum. So long story short, my friends, Keith Tozer and JP Del Camera, we saw that they were looking for a commissioner. And, and we said, let's go for it. Let's take this league and let's see if we can return it to where it used to be. Sold out arenas all over the country. And we're having a blast. We're in our playoffs right now, uh, the semifinals. Uh, San Diego's playing Chihuahua and <laughs> Chihuahua, Mexico. That's what I'm saying. You guys have even crossed borders to, to field teams. How's it been received in Mexico? In Mexico, it's fantastic. 
uh, you know Mexican fans, they love their soccer, whether it's outdoor or indoor. So it, we're just completing our first season. The semifinals are going on. Kansas City uh, playing. They won over the weekend. San Diego plays uh, the team in Mexico tonight. And we'll wrap up uh, in another two weeks. So I love soccer. I love it indoor. I love it outdoor. And, and Max, you know, for a goalkeeper, you play indoor, you're like in a shooting gallery. You're sharpening, and, uh, you're sharpening your tools in there for sure. That's got a lot good, of fun. That, would, would there ever be a possibility like some maybe, I mean, obviously it runs concurrently in many ways with what's happening at MLS, but a goalkeeper looking for an edge to play some indoor games, it has to, it has to provide that. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, your reflexes, your skill set, your reaction time definitely enhanced uh, for the indoor game. But we're looking for this league, Max, really to grow. I mean, knock the socks off people. I think, I think we can, within a couple of years, reach a stage where we're getting 10, 15,000 fans at 20 different stadiums all across the country. And you're the chairman. So you know, I, we've, we spoke to JP about it before. Uh, let's, let's talk about the history a bit because it is viewed very favorably. And I remember ESPN watching those games and it was the, the names, Steve Jungle and Hector Marinara. People remember these guys because they were electrifying. They were so entertaining. And it was, it was in the bloodstream. You would watch these games and they were accessible. And anything that was so well attended, you would draw your eyes to it. Uh, but, and you even said about the investors. They used to be fans of the Arrows. How much, are you, how much do you see that, the, how much of the, the old version of the game, which hasn't changed much, but looking at the fans that once did that, people that remember fondly these players, and I have conversations about it all the time when they talk about their favorite player from the MISL in those, those days. How important is that history to set the table for what you're doing now? You hit it on the head, Max, and I can't I can't disclose anything now, but the people reaching out to us who want to invest in the league, who want expansion teams in markets like like Las Vegas or Nashville or Austin, Orlando, the people who now have the money, know the sport and want in, they're calling us. And remember, there's a generation in the 80s of people like, I don't want to name the names, but they are pillars at the top of the pyramid in American sports. They may be with NBA teams, NHL teams. They have money. They grew up with indoor soccer. And as soon as Keith Tozer and JP and myself took over, they've been calling to say, you know what? We want back in. So yeah. in a perfect world, we're going to really elevate the, the level of play, uh, the media, uh, the publicity, and, and attendance. I tell people all the time, one quick one, because I, I'm fortunate, right? I played with Pelé in front of 77,000 people at Giant Stadium, played at the Olympics. I want to say one of the most, but it could be the most electrifying game I ever played in was in St. Louis, game seven of the championship at the Checker Dome, New York Arrows against the St. Louis Steamers, sold out 17, 18,000 people, the music, the horns blaring. It was wild. It's a wild atmosphere. 
and it's a great sport. Do you get the former players, the legends uh, involved in some way, shape, or form? Because I know that that would carry uh, a lot of weight for the the traditionalists, the, the the nostalgic ones. Because it's a new game. And look, we went. They have a team here, the Ontario Fury. It's a really fun night out. You can take your family, and you're not going to ruin your 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 wallet, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, and it's fun and it's fast and it's it's a good night out. But looking at some of the legends, have you had chats with them and see if they could be involved? Absolutely. We're gonna we're gonna set up a a program at the league office for for those players, Julie V and Zulpin Toth, all, all of them, <laughs> Steve Jungle, Branko Sagoda. Uh, the list goes on and on. Pre- Precky, definitely... Precky was in there too, right? Yes. Precky too. And and then the, our women's U.S. national team coach, he started here in indoor soccer, right? So there's a legion of people out there. We're going to embrace them. We're going to bring them back into the tent. And, and who knows, you know, down three years from now, Major League Soccer buys us and we're all under one umbrella. That's great. I, mean, I can't even imagine the amount of work you guys have had to put on this because it is a it's a labor of love at first. But then, as you said, you it must be inspiring when you see the response and people are interested because it can only go as far if people see it. And people went in the business side. It's dollars and cents. There's arenas that need occupants. They uh, there's there is always a demand. This country is so huge. And I think someone would say, hey, you have all these options. But this is very distinctive in in comparison to anything even other soccer properties it's uh it's something that's well self-contained and look I, there was a kansas city comet goal like i forgot the name of the player but it was making benji, the rounds benji. yeah benji. benji so there's guys that you want to go see what excites you the most when you think about masl uh, where going in the next five years where you feel you can really put this on and maybe not in the American landscape, but for fee- for folks that love soccer, something that they're aware of, they check the scores, they go to games from time to time. What excites you the most? So, Mac, Max, you actually just mentioned it quickly in passing. It, it, nobody owns it. We're not in FIFA. We're not in U.S. soccer. We have no governing body. We're a renegade league, so we could do whatever we want. And you're in the industry where you know all these different delivery platforms today. This is a game, and I'm not a gambling guy. This is a game made for the young generation. Gambling, data collection, all the different streaming capabilities. Uh, This is a sport that's made for it. So I think the sky's the limit. Uh, We're gonna build it quickly and again, not being owned by anybody, being a renegade league. We're not in the U.S. soccer. We're not under FIFA. There's no governing body. This is a unique property, and that's why people are calling us. The gambling perspective is no no minor detail. I'm not a gambler myself, but I know folks will go, I just need something to see, and I'll put $10 on it, and that illuminates my viewing experience. So definitely lean into that, and look, it's – it's legal now everywhere. I don't look, I, I am so out of the, I am so me out of too. the loop with gambling. Yeah, I think too. I'd be a good gambler, but I'm not. But you'd be crazy not to include that in some way, shape or form to lure in fans. Look, soccer is soccer. And, and there's a form of indoor soccer that's played all over the world, right? In, in, in Germany, they play in the winter in every country in the world. In Brazil, it's called showball. 
they play not futsal, but futsal really with walls, show ball. So there's a form of indoor soccer all over the world. Uh, it's no secret that JP and Keith and myself are going to try and put together a World Cup of indoor soccer here in Las Vegas in 2025. So Wait, you, bu you buried the lead. I should have asked about that from the beginning. <laughs> we, we have you, anytime match, you have the World Cup, you have my attention. <laughs> but think about it, right? World Cup of indoor soccer. Six right before the regular World Cup here. That's a brilliant yeah. idea. Shep, Thank we you. want in. <laughs> You're in. You're in. Listen, we love the sport. Indoor, outdoor. Uh, for me, it's simple. Somebody kicks it, I'm going to try and catch it. <laughs> print. You got to print a T-shirt with that on it. Somebody kicks it, I want to catch it. Uh, Shep, real quickly, uh, Red Bulls, I know you You and Steve do a wonderful job, and I, I, I tune in on a fair bit, and... It's a it's 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 an enigmatic team because with Red Bull, you never know when they're going to have a big investment come in. They're developing good young players. It's always there. One of the more interesting teams to cover, no doubt. Having some moments. How, how have you seen the season thus far? Listen, you, you hit it on the head, right? They're they're a they're a an interesting team, right? The, the style of play is well documented. It, it's in their DNA. They played in Leipzig. They played at Red Bull Salzburg. It's the, it's the press, the high press, the counter press. They want to for, force turnovers uh, and then go straight to goal. But they've shied away now from the big name players, right? No more Thierry Henry, no more Rafa Marquez. Not that he worked out well, but still, I'm glad that I'm glad that happened. Me too. Me too. And again, you know, the sport, you know, this market that I'm in to me, you always need some star players, but they've gone young and their developmental program is terrific. It's a question of, can we get results? Right. Gerhard Struber is one of the most interesting, awesome coaches I've ever seen. So That's good I'm to a hear. big fan. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm, I have faith in Red Bull. I think people go, oh, Red Bull this. But as you mentioned, the teams in Europe, and there's a team in Brazil that's doing fantastically uh, on the field and off the field. And I think it's going to – the Red Bulls will, will get into that that stream again. And not that they haven't gotten out of it, because we've expected them to be in the top positions, which they're not, but they're a playoff yeah. team. And I've been I've enjoyed seeing some of these young players. I really love Tolkien. He's – the, the hair. I mean, it looks like the nature boy Ric Flair out there. Max, this kid's a player. I, I got to tell you, this kid is going places. He is he is really talented. He's got a world-class left foot, can run all day. He's quick. He's smart. The hair, <laughs> I love the hair too. But this, look, great young player, John Tolkien. Jeff, uh, there's not enough time. I, I've, I barely feel like I've hit the tip of the iceberg with you. Maybe we can pick it up again, but we're excited to see what you're doing with MASL. And we'll, we'll see. We've got a timeline now for 2025. If you have a chance in one of the markets places, maybe not this season, obviously, as it's hitting the, the tail end, but check out the indoor game. You will really enjoy it. Bring your family. And uh, Shep, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll converse pretty soon. I know this is a big year and we're getting rest getting close to the World Cup, and we'll certainly want to lean into your expertise. Max, I can't tell you how good it is to see you and talk to you, and, and I'll, I'll be embarrassed if you don't ask me to do this more often anytime in. I'm with you. We're going to get, we're gonna get a 10-person <laughs> mega MASL uh, broadcast, or, or we'll just, 
I look forward to having a beer with you at some point here, like the old days when we had those MLS meetings in Las Vegas and Fort Lauderdale, but time will tell. We'll get there. Chef Messing, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is the Soccer OG. We'll be back with the stoppage time where we're talking about, for me, the most interesting team I ever saw. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. Time now for stoppage time. And I want to talk about the most interesting team I've ever seen. And that is uh, the Columbia national team from the early 90s. Got me to thinking, and we could say all the things about Freddy Rincon, who died in a car crash uh, in Colombia at the age of 55. He was a big part of this team. And he was an important player for Colombians, certainly those in Cali, certainly fans of Brazilian soccer, which he played a lot, uh, an extensive career. He got to play in Europe, which back then was very rare for South Americans, not in Argentina or Brazil. Uh, Tino Aspria, a teammate of his, also broke all sorts of ground there by uh, being able to do that. Because back then, you know, Tino Aspria was at Newcastle United and also at Parma. Certainly in the Premier League. The Premier League didn't have South American players, not even Argentines and Brazilians. It just wasn't it wasn't saturated. You know, you think about Ozzy Ardiles back in the 70s, Tottenham, but there was a time there, there was a few, but it wasn't the way it is now. And, you know, it allowed people like Dino Espria to certainly stick out. Freddy Dincon didn't have as much overseas. He was a season on loan at Napoli, did play at Real Madrid. It was over three seasons, but he wasn't a regular at those times. Two seasons. And that was it. And then he went to Brazil from 96, played for Palmeiras, Palmeiras, Corinthians, Santos, Cruzeiro. I mean, the creme de la creme won a Club World Cup with Corinthians. 84 caps. And Colombia is a a country with a a bit of a, a tortured sporting history. And... I, they're very good. They're very. They had some breakthroughs at the Tour de France in cycling, but soccer obviously is a passion. Football, and they have a very competitive league. And the national team produces great players, even recently, like James Rodriguez. Even though it hasn't gone that well, but there's more Colombian players making uh, breakthroughs. Uh, Yasser Aspria, no relation to Dino Aspria, I believe he's going to Watford, uh, and they are raving about him. But you're seeing more of that of the Colombian game. And just to be completely transparent here, I was drawn into this team at an early age because, listen, I've had a pretty interesting life. <laughs> not, not by any of my doing, but we traveled a lot in my formative years. Our family moved to Australia when I was five. Uh, and we lived in, in Mexico for a little bit as well. And we lived in Colombia. My brother and my sister were actually born in Bogota, Colombia. So my sister was born. My dad was a professor. He was at the university down there. And then he came to Oberlin College in Ohio. That's where I was born. I was born in Oberlin, Ohio. And if you look at my brothers and sisters, my brother and sister look like they're from Colombia. I look like I'm from Ohio. It's weird. But I was like two weeks away from being born in Colombia, or maybe a little bit more than that. I should, I should clear up my mom. I don't think she should be flying eight months pregnant. But it was, there was a gap. They went back to Colombia and had my brother. So it's... We, me and my brother would get into the sports and we first started enjoying the World Cup, the 1986 World Cup. We were actually in Mexico. My dad was working there and we were getting into it. So a little bit. 1990, we were all in. 
and this Columbia team made it, and we we knew the squad. It was an unbelievable team. They were in a group with the United Arab Emirates and West Germany at the time, and you saw the beginning of something very special. That was, of course, the uh, World Cup in Italy. But Freddie Rincon was a part of that, and he scored this amazing goal in the 93rd minute. I actually posted it on my Twitter. You go scroll through there, and I... And it's this, this incredible goal that starts in the back. And then this, this sublime pass from El Pibe Carlos Valderrama to Rincón, who goes under the legs of, was it Oliver Kahn, maybe? I'd have to check that. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe that's well before Oliver Kahn's time. I don't know what I'm talking about. I should know that. Doesn't matter. We're talking about Freddy Rincón, and they celebrate. And that point was huge because it allowed them to get through to the knockout stages. So... They squeaked through there. It wasn't a 32-team um, World Cup back then. So, what was it, like a 16? I'm kind of scrolling through here. It was, yeah, it was a 16-team. Yeah, no, 20-team. 24, 24, 24-team World Cup. Colombia opened up, and they beat the United Arab Emirates. Then they lost to Yugoslavia. Then they tied West Germany. That was good enough to get him third. And as a third place team, they went through. And without that Freddie Rincon goal, none of this happens. And this was this was a young team creating its trajectory, creating uh, a whole new phenomenon. Because Colombia did nothing in the World Cup prior. It's crazy because I think when you look at South America, you go Brazil one, Argentina two, Uruguay three with the history. And then you think Colombia could join them one day. They feel like they have the talent. But it never quite happened there. So, needless to say, this team makes the, uh, the round of 16. They go to uh, face Cameroon, which were the other darlings of that, uh, of that uh, World Cup, right? They, they made a quarterfinal, almost, uh, almost made a, a semifinal. They, had, they were up on England, two goals, and then English came back and went to go to the semifinals. So Colombia makes the round of 16. Costa Rica made the round of 16 as well. And they would take on Cameroon. It went into extra time. And it was famously this ball played back for Rene Higuita, the, the goalkeeper. He made this, this, he's you know the eccentric goalkeeper. I can't think of the right word. He made a play. He was dispossessed. Cameroon scores and they march on. It was, it was one of the big mistakes in World Cup history. And you're like, and it kind of plays into what we go on from there. So Colombia, with Frederic and Tino Aspria, Leonel Alvarez, of course, El Pibe Valderrama, coached by Francisco Maturana. You had goalkeeper Oscar Cordoba, who was like the number one for Boca Juniors. You had Adolfo El Tren Valencia. All these incredible players. Andres Escobar, the gentleman of the field, who, you know, and when people die, you know, you hear things posthumously where they're like, oh, yeah, he was this, that. You talk to people you know, and they go, man, this was the best defender in many cases that Colombia's ever developed. He was just just a clean defender. And that's what made it the, the irony of what happened in 94 with the, 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 the own goal against the United States. And then Andres Escobar later murdered. Um, and they said it was because of the own goal. And, I, and there was a the documentary about the two Escobars, and I watched it. And there has to be some narco-trafficking involvement here. Uh, he played in Medellin, which was a big narco-trafficking uh, epicenter and the site of the Andres, es, uh, the Pablo Escobar uh, uh, cartel. 
and it was it's we we really i'm just amazed when i was doing some research for this we really don't it's not really clearly said and i know there's more to it because the guy who did it is has been incarcerated but this team in 1990 sets the table so they're qualifying for the 94 world cup in 93 against argentina who just won the copa america in 93 and 91 made the final of the world cup in 1990 won the world cup in 86 Colombia went down there in qualifying to Argentina and beat Diego Maradona and Gabriel Batistuta 5-0. So they're getting ready to the World Cup, and everyone was enamored with this team. Pele picked them to win it. I remember that when Pele picked it. But a lot of other people said this is a Colombia team that would surprise. And they, by the way, that Argentina game, it's it's... It's hard to believe it happened, but they called it the game that rocked the world. And it was all the Colombian artistry on display. They had such a perfect team because no one was like anyone else. Everyone had a really distinctive job, but they were really good at it. Colombia goes to the World Cup. They're in a group with Romania, Switzerland, and the United States. Times have changed, but even back then, you had to have said, that's a, world, that's a group that Colombia should win. USA, the host country, yes. The USA beat Colombia in one of the big upsets. And then what about the Swiss and Romania? Romania had George Haji. They were great. You know, they won the group. Romania, Switzerland finished second with the USA on four points. Colombia, three. They beat the Swiss but lost the other two games. It just didn't make any sense. They were The moment was too big and they wilted. They felt all the pressure, all the hype. Pele calling them that. And they had everyone ready to go. And they were out after two games because they couldn't really close the gap. Doesn't matter what happened in the third game. Then what happened to Andres Escobar? So I thought about that team a lot because I just, I wish of all the teams I've seen in the sport, I wish they had a better ending for obvious reasons, not just with Andres Escobar, which goes without saying. But I wanted to see them more. And then it started to, they made the 98 World Cup, but it's starting to fall apart, they're getting old. And it just reminds you, you have to strike when the iron's hot. So there's a lesson here for the US team, which is getting good and young, that they get it together yeah, you want to aim for 2026, but if you can do it in 2022, because look, Colombia could have done it in 1990. They should have beat. They, they should have beaten Cameroon there, and uh, not should have, but really had a shot. They're in extra time. You're in, you're, you're in position to do it. Then you face England. You never know. But I just don't see national teams like that. They were just perfect, perfect with everything they were able to do. And we remember Freddy Rincon, and may he rest in peace. And I hope someone does a real documentary on this team because it's so interesting and the stories that certainly could be told. And I hope Colombia reaches those heights one day. I'd be thrilled, my brother would be thrilled, and all Colombians, of which I know many, uh, at least make a World Cup semi, something like that. Did make a quarterfinal there in 2014 with Hamas, but we shall see it. This is the Soccer OG. Make sure you tell a friend about us. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. We'll be back next week. Until then, Placido Domingo.